Hey listener, this is Out of Beta. My name is Peter Soom and my co-host is Matt Wensing. Matt is the founder of Summit and I'm the founder of Reform and on this podcast you get to follow along on our startup journeys. If you're a new listener, don't forget to check out our website on autobeta.fm to find our entire back catalog. Hey Matt. Hey Peter. Maya asked me yesterday, how's Matt doing? And I said, I don't know, because <laughs> I have barely spoken to him and we haven't recorded a podcast for two weeks, so yeah, I didn't have a good answer. It's like, he's probably fine, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Or oh, my asking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I appreciate you relaying the question from your empathetic wife. I'm I'm pretty good, man. We took settled in to the fall, and I I feel like there is a lot going on work wise. There just is, but that's typical with startups. But I'm doing well, healthy. Everyone's good, no issues, and yeah, I think it's just typical mid fall quarter kind of time frame for us right now. So it's not holiday crazy yet. It's also not like early school crazy it's just kind of cruising altitude between <laughs> between summer yeah. and winter so yeah i kind of like the fall i always I feel it. very inspired to work yeah it's my favorite like time summer's over now let's let's start getting things done again fall's perfect in my opinion yeah it's great so yeah i'm doing well you know no shortage of things to work on but everyone's good how are you nice. doing this week compared to last <laughs> I think last we were in the middle of the all the renovation stuff. Mostly, mostly got done with it. Besides sickness and all sorts of craziness that we had to deal with, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm in my uh, now renovated bedroom, which is nice. Last week, Tobias actually, our son got sick again. I think it's like we were talking to a doctor recently, and they told us that after COVID, there's no mm-hmm. seasonality in viruses anymore because it's kind of gotten out of sync so it hasn't gotten back to like the normal way of like you get you know you get cold viruses in the winter basically and Uh and then you kind of then there's like a season for it but like because everyone was isolating for like one and a half years or something it doesn't really work like that right now so that's how you get like sick several times during the summer or in the fall like before the, the normal like virus season normally would have kicked in right so, I don't know. hopefully huh. we'll get an easier winter i guess <laughs> is my sil- possible silver lining here yeah that'd be nice because we, we've had we, it, everything <laughs> we all got our flu shots recently and you know uh, one of us has had the booster this guy's had the booster shots for the, the what second booster shot for covid so we're getting we're getting armed up and ready for war but if it's not that bad that'd be nice daycare is like a booster shot. Oh, I think. that's just a breeding ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's an anti-booster it's a shot. Petri dish. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Mostly good now. Last week was actually the first time my wife would go alone to our summer house since Tupis was born. And mm-hmm. so those kind of felt like a big thing. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as she was up there, he had a high temperature <laughs> and was complaining about his ears. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so the timing continues to be uh, good. you know. Besides that, it's going pretty well, getting things done again, which feels good. Um, yeah, that's nice. Non-reform related updates. We launched a showcase website for Tailwind, which mm. was a project that I was leading basically. So it took up a lot of my, a lot of the remaining time besides all the 
renovation stuff. But now I finally have a bit more time to think about reform again as well. So, and Bjorn is in in Canada right now. He's celebrating Canadian oh. Thanksgiving over there. And okay, so I'm alone in the office, which is I don't know. It's like the combination of like him not being around, me having a bit more time, and fall is like really like putting me into like strategic thinking mm. about everything mode, which is kind of nice. I like this feeling like taking an extra walk during the day and just like taking yeah. time to think. Ah, it's so great. <laughs> Both Saturday and Sunday, I went to a coffee shop and like worked for two hours and it, it was just nice. Cool. Yeah, that's great. It yeah. reminds me of falls in college and walking around the college campus, the leaves falling up in Chicago and just thinking and you know, different stage of life too. So it's just sort of that idyllic time where everything's pretty much, yeah, everything's kind of clear and easy compared to yeah, yeah. how it goes later. So I love the fall. Well, cool, man. And you said not much reform related. So just. Well, I've started ship. to do more reform related stuff, but yeah, getting this tailwind showcase out, like kind of gave me some more space, I guess, because that was like ended yeah. up being quite a big project, fun project, okay. but kind of a big project. Yeah. Cool. I listened to your podcast with Michelle today on Software Social. The, the main thing I took away was like, you casually mentioned that Bob Mesta had a podcast that I didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, it's really I good. Heard, I don't, I've never heard you mention that before, but I immediately downloaded some of the first episodes. And I love it. He ha he had like the most amazing quote in the first. I think it was a Clay Christensen quote in the in like the, their intro episode. I'm just paraphrasing now, but it was basically like, and it was like the perfect quote for me today. But he was basically saying, "Questions create holes in your brain that answers can fall into." So good. <laughs> it's so good, and it was like such a Bob is exactly what I needed today. Like, yeah, just ask more questions. <laughs> yeah, what holes do you want to create? And it actually, it's such a deep underlying truth, right? Because if you don't ask questions or if people don't ask questions, it blocks the ability to learn something new or absorb something new so often because it's, you're not it's even agreeing It's literally true. Like it's, it's exactly how it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, but no one has told you that before. Like you've never thought about it that way. I know. Like why did I get through half my life and nobody explained <laughs> this fundamental thing to me? It's awful, man. It's awful. Like they don't teach school children these things. Really. Yeah. So I uh, listened to one and a half episodes so far. I'm uh, nice. I'm going to the states in one and a half weeks. Going to New York, visit a, a good friend, and then going on a Tailwind team retreat afterwards. And um, nice. I, so I know I have a long flight or two long flights coming up. So I've started really like save okay. like being very like particular about like what podcasts I listen to now and what I save like the worst is like you have an eight hour flight or nine hour flight and you get like through the airport and like half an hour into the flight and you're like yeah that was it in terms of podcasts <laughs> you got to save some good ones honestly three or four acquired episodes where they go over the history of standard oil or something would also last you eight hours <laughs> yeah that's true I don't know if there's any good ones left I haven't listened to but it's probably worth a re-listen some of them maybe Berkshire mm -hmm. Hathaway I think that's actually nine hours which is exactly my flight. I haven't listened to that yet. Really? That one's in my back catalog. Yeah, because I, I just take a day out of the calendar. <laughs> because I have an I have a biography of Warren Buffett that I've been listening to, an audio biography, and uh, 
go over, it went over so much of the history of Berkshire Hathaway that I didn't really want another one, but maybe that'll reinforce thoughts. So that's not a bad thing. And they're so good. They're entertaining too. So I could probably do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So uh, today is our last day with Eduflow as a sponsor. So it's going to be our last paid plug at mm-hmm. least. But I will talk about Eduflow. They've been sponsoring us for three months, which has been amazing. And uh, while they were a sponsor, we recorded an interview with the founder. And I'll stop talking about this on episode on each episode now, because as I said last time, I think everyone has listened to it now. And um, I met that. Well, that's just part of my update. But we had the mini fire festival in my town where people came and went on a hike. And David, the founder of Edgeflow, was there, and it was super nice to meet him in real life. But yeah, their story is amazing. So if there is one or two listeners out there who haven't and they haven't listened to the interview with David, there's a three-part episode in our feed about the origin story of Edgeflow, and it's really good startup content, so people should check that out. And if you have any sort of learning going on in your organization, you should check out Edgeflow. It's a really cool tool for basically passing on knowledge to someone else and building out these educational online courses for your team members and employees and whatever collaborators you might have. And they do everything. That's the, I want to say this one more time as well. Like everything SaaS, they do extremely well. So like if you want to get inspiration from someone who has like a really well-designed website with like all the right, you know, SaaS bells and whistles, you should check out the eduflow.com website. And if you go to eduflow.com slash out of beta, there's a really generous discount to our listeners. Yeah. So thank you so much to Eduflow for sponsoring us for three months. It also means we have room for new sponsors. I actually don't have someone for next uh, week. So we'll see if we have one or not. I thought I had one, but then I didn't. And I think there's something with the times, like one sponsor I talked to that they, they, they reached out and they sponsored every podcast in our space, basically. So I think people can, maybe people could guess who they are, but they basically <laughs> said that they stopped they're pausing all like podcast sponsorships. So I think there's something like maybe with the economy mm. or whatever. But yeah, anyways, if you got some spare cash, you know, the money is not worth very much right now with all the inflation. So um, better to spend it now before you raise prices. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, they can reach out to me on send me a Twitter DM or something like that. Cool. Should we do some updates? You remember we used to do Maker Manager? Oh my gosh. No, I forgot. <laughs> That's a deep cut from our own mental archives. <laughs> I'm not sure if it still makes sense because I feel like I'm very much a manager these days. I, I, I'm happy to try for that. I'm going to start on the Maker side. I made some stuff this past week and that was fun. Also caused a little trouble on the on the Twitter net a little bit one day this past week, which was good for Summit, but that was interesting. But that was all on the maker side. So yeah, I made two made two new calculators, at least two new ones in the last week. You didn't one make many a, friends with your calculators. So that's what you're trying to say. Well, actually, <laughs> in terms I made of a making bunch stuff. of friends. <laughs> I made a bunch of friends, and then I made a few <laughs> non-friends. Okay. <laughs> so, but I t- actually I got a lot of likes. I just said a lot of retweets. So. <laughs> You interpret that how you want. So I made two calculators. One is called Streaming Music Flow of Royalties, which I released yesterday. This one was fun because it was a deviation from the standard like startup financing calculator space. Um, 
speaking of Acquired FM, they have an awesome podcast on Taylor Swift, and they talk about her negotiations with the record labels and royalty structures that are involved in the streaming music industry, Spotify as well. And I made this calculator just really wanting to, it just seemed like such a perfect fit. You know, this song gets played, there's some money spent or sent out from these services, and then what are all the different ways it gets distributed to the different people in the music industry. So I made that one, and that one was made completely just kind of on a whim. And interestingly enough, there was a couple folks who found it interesting. One of them is involved in the music space with helping artists get paid differently. And they found it cool. And I may have a conversation with them about using it or building something custom like it for them and for their audience, which I think is really awesome. So it just goes to show like some its breadth in terms of applicability, which is not, which is nice. And I'd love to educate artists on how to get paid better for what they do and how they license their content. So that was one. That was yesterday. And then the other one was this profitable SaaS dividend calculator I made, which I'm really proud of because it it wasn't the easiest thing to build. So it was sort of the technical challenge. But then it also just sheds light on this issue, which is, you know, independent SaaS companies like a convert kit or like a well, buffer-ish, gumroad-ish, right? People who claim to be on this independent SaaS road, let's say. And all the a lot of tiny seed companies who who are on this path, like there's this vision of profit and then sharing that profit with your shareholders, which I think is really good and it can work. But the this whole topic came up because there was a round being raised by a startup in the space, and I won't mention names, but basically a round being raised, crowdfunded, where they were trying to raise at a $15 million post-money valuation, and they're raising $1.2 million. So that means you can do the math really easily. Since it's post-money, it means you can just take you know, the amount you're investing and divide it by $15 million, You get your ownership stake. And the problem is, is if you take a company that's at the seed stage and you scale it, even along the trajectory of ConvertKit, who had a slow couple first years and then just blew up, even if you do that, you start splitting profit. You know, if somebody owns... out of $15 million. And keep in mind, this is crowdfunding, right? So the most you can invest is $2,200, and the least you can invest is $100. If you invest even $2,200, but the company is worth, quote-unquote, $15 million, you own such a tiny percentage of that company that when they do pay a profit share out or dividend out, even with a $300,000 dividend, let's say, which is a good amount of profit for a company at that stage, you're going to get like less than a couple hundred bucks, you know, maybe $200 or something after waiting for three three years. So you put in $2,200, you get back $250 three years later. That's that's not what that company wants you to think when you go to put money into that. That's the best case. Like that's if everything goes well. Exactly. Thank you. And that underscores the other part, which is that's assuming that you you follow. That's winning big. <laughs> yeah, it makes it easy to do ConvertKit because their numbers are public. So yeah, if you take off like Nathan's company did, and you start paying out these profitable dividends, you know your investors will get back a couple hundred bucks, and then later, and if you run it all the way out to I think four or five years, I think your payback is like one hundred and forty percent. But that keeps keep in mind that means you got your money back plus an extra forty percent. <laughs> so it's just a terrible return over that time frame. And now you could argue, well, but you keep, you know, you keep your money in there. It's like, 
But companies that want to grow, they have to increase their expenses. Oftentimes, they don't generate a profit for a couple of years because they, they go back into increase your revenue mode and they have to invest and they don't have profits. So then you have nothing. And this is the best case scenario. So I think it's just really important for there to be a little bit more transparency around if you're going to promise dividend checks to people, <laughs> that that's the way they're going to get paid back. Not because you're planning to go public or exit for a bazillion dollars or raise a bunch of venture capital rounds that are going to buy them out. If, you're, if your path to paying them back is dividends, let's be realistic about the kind of dividends you're going to generate on a realistic path. And you're right. If you take the median case, like there's nothing. Like they don't, they don't ever see an upside. Even if the company works really hard to generate a profit, it's going to take you 10 years at $200 a year to get your money back, right? <laughs> yeah, and there was another startup not too long ago, pre-product, that were trying to raise a $30 million valuation. And they didn't yeah. even have a product or any customers or anything like that. And it, it, it didn't work out, so they had to decrease that and it still didn't seem to work out very well. But it's just, it's be at that point, it's better just to say that you can it's a, a Kickstarter or it's like you, you pay to like, like on software social, like they didn't mention everyone's name mm -hmm. or something like that. So it's like a cool yes. thing that you kind of was sponsoring this project. Right. Right. But promising a dividend check when you have to hit a grand slam, it kind of begs the question of like, well, what's wrong with this picture? And the, the thing that's wrong with this picture is if you're not going to be in the VC track, don't raise at VC valuations, right? Or, or you should. Yeah, be. and then it's frustrating when when certain like some people that are like super well-meaning and are actually like on the sort of like tiny seat trajectory. Like I will mention a name because Rand Fishkin is like someone I look up to a lot. He's like a really a really good guy, and he's he was basically the inspiration for the tiny seat terms, mm -hmm. and. And people like him will say like, oh, it's great to see other indie companies following this like grow slowly, whatever model. But the problem is Tiny Seed invests at like roughly like a $1 million valuation. Right. So this is like 15 okay. times higher or in the other case, 30 times higher. Right. Right. And that matters. It matters a lot. It matters it's so a, much. 30x on your money. 15x on your money. And risk yeah. adjusted. You might be like, why do you need to make 15x your money? If you're investing in a startup, which is an inherently risky proposition, these aren't public companies. These are like fireflies compared to elephants, if you will, in terms of stability and, and accountability. You need a big return to justify the median case, which is you get nothing, right? So this is turning average people into angel investors is a great idea, but they need to get there for an angel investor reward, not a mediocre reward for the risk they're taking right and they can't get that like, at a vc valuation yeah like jason calcani's his syndicate they invested in calm i think and that turned into be a unicorn but that was also the mm -hmm. bet from the beginning <laughs> yeah the calm meditation app that's right yeah it was the bet from the beginning and you know they're putting a lot of money to work at an early stage yeah. so they're not investing $2,000 at a $15 million pre-money valuation. Even if the pre-money valuation is $15 million, the company is explicitly saying we're going to try to go public and raise a bunch of money to, 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 to drive revenues up and be a public company one day. And the check writer 
says, I have $250,000 to invest so I can own 2%, 5% of your business, 1% of your business, like a real meaningful number, which is how they get, you know, get a good return. Like they can put a lot of money where when you're capped at putting $2,000 into a business at a $15 million valuation, it just creates, it also means there's no accountability. Like there's no therefore locus of influence, like who represents the crowd, who helps, who represents the crowd when things aren't going well, who, who's really reading the terms and making sure that they're good for the audience. The platform that runs these crowdfundings is incentivized to make sure that they are legal. But you can sell people on terms that are legal, but not good for for them, right? Especially when you're influential, like you said. So yeah, I, there was a case recently with someone yeah. who raised basically people th- people thought they were investing into a fund that would ra- invest in other startups, but in fact they bought basically GP shares. So they what they invested in, as far as I understood it. They they bought shares in the firm that runs the funds, you know. So a, a VC firm, mm. they have GPs. They have a company for themselves, basically, and then that company will go out and raise different funds. Then they will just then they will then invest into other companies. Mm. So and this one specifically was like investing in underrepresented people in tech, I mm. think, or in mm. the startup space, and and the way it was sold was. I think that was the critique, at least. Like the way it was sold was like, you you invest to help underrepresented people, like get funded. So the way people interpreted that was that, oh, we get like I put in a thousand dollars, and that one thousand dollars would like go to some like underrepresented person to like start a company. That's kind of like that's what a lot yeah. of people thought because they didn't read the term. But in fact, what they bought was like they put they they bought one of the VCs shares in their company for a thousand dollars. And then because of that, they have rights to like, you know, future income that that company makes, because when you run a fund, like you, you, you get fees basically and a return potentially in the future. Right. But people didn't understand that because no one had apparently like read through the actual terms. They just like read the pitch and the pitch was like, Hey, we invest in underrepresented founders. Like here you can invest money. And then people just assume that the money would go to the underrepresented founders. <laughs> it's a great example because what's really sad then is there there is nobody in these cases where you're taking money from a thousand people or two thousand people. There's no board seat. You actually are selling if you're selling a safe or or a convertible note or debt. There's no share ownership, so there's literally no voting rights. There's no ownership in the company yet. Until there's an event, you you have no you have the rights of like what says on the on the on the note. But you have no representation, and there's no accountability, and there's no guarantee of a board. You know, there's no board member representing common shareholders. There's, there's literally none of that. You're just basically paying. You just gave money to somebody who kind of do whatever they want now, and that's that's a risk that you're taking. And I'm okay with people taking risks. Don't take, don't get me wrong. But then that return needs to be risk adjusted. And so if you're going to yeah, take but that it's kind wrong. Of risk, like that 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 race that was going on the other day, it's wrong to like compare that to a tiny seed. It's just wrong. The founder didn't do yeah. that themselves, but everyone else did, you know, on Twitter. Mm. So I won't blame the founder for that actually, but a lot of other people were saying like, oh, this is great. Like more companies and like people like tiny seed and calm fund mm-hmm. or whatever. 
which is just wrong because Tiny Seed they invested a much lower valuation. Like you couldn't instead of investing a thousand dollars, you could invest a hundred dollars, you know, in a Tiny Seed company yeah. and get the same return. But yeah. but also like in Tiny Seed they have a mechanism to prevent what you just described, which was like basically the top tell drama where they where they never raised money again and they never paid any investors and they didn't they just you know said that they didn't care about it. Yeah. And but Tiny Seed they actually have a side letter that puts a cap on the founder's salary. So mm -hmm. if the founder wants more money, they have to share it with the shareholders. Yeah. And that's another mechanism that I don't think was in this deal as well or in most other deals. So again, safety measures are good, but let's put it this way. Let's say you just rolled the dice and you went for it. If there are a lack of safety measures, especially if it turns out really well, you deserve a great payday and that's sort of what was being promised but if you run the numbers the payday is modest at best and non-existent in the average case and you know in the average startup case it is non-existent but the at best needs to be phenomenal so that it was worth it and that's just a it's an unfortunate mixture of of things where i think that if you're a founder and you know the crowd is really appealing in a lot of ways because these are your fans, these are your customers, you want to raise money from them, that's all good. But then share the upside by not pricing yourself at you know a ridiculous number to start with, so that they can enjoy that upside with you. Not you know it just seems very it's not generous for sure. And and I think people who have that amount of experience should know better. And that's why I wanted to make the calculator is so that other people can see it for themselves. So yeah, I, the, the calculations will continue until transparency increases. Cool. Let's not be afraid of a little math. So that, so that one was, uh, that one was a hit and I ended up naming it the profitable SaaS dividend calculator, because I think this is a model that can work. And I think a lot of people are trying it, but <clears throat> you need to put in a valuation that's, um, that's digestible for it to work. And yeah, I hope lots of people use it. I hope lots of people do that kind of investment structure, but I hope the valuation is dialed into a number that makes everybody win instead of just the founder who gets gets the money and gets to build their business but really doesn't end up sharing much with the with the shareholders so those are the two things i made that was my maker update and then manager side i am sort of watching the analytics i'd say the usage of the apps that we've released so far i am i'd say this is more manager yeah i'm i'm doing business development or sales, you could say, pretty actively with a number of companies who want to use or embed these calculators in their own content or apps, which is exciting. And I had a really good conversation with a, funny enough, that the head of growth of a unicorn company, and he just happens to live in Austin, not far from me. And so we literally went and got coffee last Friday, and we had a really awesome conversation about using a Summit Calculator in their own funnel to really create engagement and just help their prospects see the value of their offerings, which are financial. So that's really exciting. So you've got about three or four pretty significant calculator adopters in the works that are, they're all, they're not all SaaS companies. One of them's a marketplace, but if those work, then I think we're off to the races because we'll have, you know, distribution, which is really the goal here. So I'm excited. And anyone that's listening, you know, I, I would say I've, I've also had an increase in the number of DMs that have come in from people who are like, I think I'm getting it now. <laughs> like, I think we could really use some calculators that show, you know, advertising payback or 
We work with agencies that do advertising. Could we build one and license it and, you know, share that with our audience? And so it's, it's amazing how this lesson keeps coming up again and again, but the one thing I've learned by beating the same note on the same drum for a while, calculators, it takes like hitting that same note so many times <laughs> so that the average listener or reader or follower really starts to process what it is that you do and how that fits their lives potentially. And it also shows like, well, when you change it every three months or six months, because you have to, but like when you do, you have to restart that clock, right? <laughs> Just start repeating again and again what it is that you do. And I'm, I'm feeling really increasingly confident now though, because the calculator positioning is working. I don't see a need to change it. And it has all the potential that we need for this to be a big business, which is something I'm, that, that is my goal. So as the manager, I'd say sales and marketing is, is going well. And that's been my primary focus. That's awesome. Is it my turn now? Yes. I'm turning the light on you. I was thinking if I made anything, I guess the mini conference thing was something I made. I mean, mm -hmm. it felt, it felt like it at least like yeah. from getting an idea to like almost 20 people, like it was just strange to like have all these people, like all of a sudden, like be in my tiny little world here in this little town that mm -hmm. I live in. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really, really cool experience. So we ended up, I think we had 19 people that paid. And then 17 people showed up on the day. It was like a rainy Tuesday. So felt good for the it's a good number. You know, 17 people showing up on a rainy day for a hike. And yeah, they showed up. We had croissants and coffee. And then the first half of the day was just basically, well, the first few hours was just like everyone talking and there was some masterminding going on, but mostly just like people minkling and and, and we did sort of like an introduction. So everyone had an idea about what everyone was doing and kind of, I asked everyone to like bring something that was on their mind right now. For me, it was basically like finding product market fit for reform. And for someone, it was like, you know, we're getting a suck to a report or something like, so different things, but it, it worked really well because then people kind of grouped based on what they thought it was most interesting to like talk about <laughs> immediately. Mm -hmm. And and you had, you had something to like start a conversation with everyone about, because you know, you knew at least one thing that was like something that they would love to talk about that day. So that worked really well. We had lunch and then we went out for the hike and we went hiking for almost four hours and nice. eventually stopped raining. And yeah, it was just awesome. And Michelle from Geocodio, Earlier, I called her Michelle from Suffer Social, but she's also from Geocodio. She was representing Geocodio that day, I think. Yeah. And, and she had a good point that every time you had to like, because there were a lot of like rain bottles <laughs> on the, when, we were, when we were walking. And every mm -hmm. time we had to like get around one, you would kind of get shuffled. So you would get an, someone new next to you. So mm -hmm. it worked well for like <laughs> mixing up the group. Uh, talking to different people. But yeah, it's a fun cool. format. I think I'm 100% going to do it again because it was just fun for like people to come out, go for a long walk and just talk shop for a full day. And yeah, I don't see why we wouldn't do it again. A few people came from far away and some people stayed to, we went out for some food and a beer and yeah, 
So it's a great uh, day. Yeah. I'm surprised at how easily that came together. I mean, not anything about you, but like just coordinating and organizing and then people make soft commitments and then bail and, you know, there's all kinds of reasons stuff like that turns out to be three people. <laughs> a, a big part of the secret was the woman who runs my co-working space, she was really excited about the idea because she she wants to do stuff like that and she kind of wants people to come out here because it kind of, for a few different reasons, she thinks it's good that <laughs> people <laughs> from the big city sees what's going on in our little town here. She does events all the time. So for her, and she basically didn't really charge us anything to like use the space. She mostly just charged to like cover the costs in terms of food and stuff, but she mostly took care of everything, which was extremely nice. <laughs> so nice. I basically just brought the people. That was my job. Cool. I mean, yeah. that's, that makes it easy. Yeah. That really is a two person effort because somebody has to think logistics and operations. And the other person has to think essentially sales and marketing evangelism. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. That's cool, yeah. man. Great. Yeah, it was cool. I'm trying to think like what the next step is. Like it feels like this, it was almost like a community. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's like a core in there that can grow in the future, basically. Nice. Yeah. The other thing I made was <laughs> launching our uh, headless features that we hadn't launched for like three weeks. It's been out in production, but I recorded a video for it, but I just had so much other stuff going on that I never, I hadn't had time to like release that. But I finally did. It was, I, I, when I posted it on Twitter, I, I said like, this is my worst attempt at marketing ever. But, and, and I kind of like prefaced it with my wife told me like, this was a, not good enough to share, <laughs> which was the truth. <laughs> but a few friends thought it was funny enough that, that I, we, it, it was worth posting. And it's basically me. So talking about the new headless feature like I do in all my product updates but the difference in this one was that I, I didn't have a head so it was headless kind of like the feature do you get it <laughs> I I've gotten it and I I, I love it <laughs> but the, the problem is it's like not very well done <laughs> and people ask for it and and if you go into my replies to the launch tweet there is a picture of me with a green cone on my head which is which it was how <laughs> made it happen in the end they, they want to know how you made this movie magic right yep it's good <laughs> it i mean it sort of worked you know because it got a lot of views and it got a lot of people sharing and commenting and one person caleb portio who does the life wire and the alpine javascript framework he recorded an entire podcast about nice. like how what he th thought about it and and I was listening to that. Well, it's like a 12-minute podcast because his episodes are really short. But I was listening to that and, and I, I thought to myself, like, yeah, like, this is exactly what you can hope for when you do, like, a, a video like this, like, that someone makes a podcast about it or talks about it. That's, that's like, the <laughs> only thing you can hope for. Yeah. I mean, you, goal achieved. Yeah. What more do you so, want? So uh, I'm glad I released it. And uh, I thought it was funny myself because it was kind of silly. But uh, yeah, he, he had a good point in his podcast about like, but, it, but what is he going to do next time? Like he can't use the same trick in the next video, which we actually talked about on the last podcast. So, yeah, it just has to be bigger, bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, you'll figure it out. I'm sure he'll come up with something. Yes. Some Ichabod yeah. Crane reference would be nice for Halloween. Could you do that? It's good. Yeah. So I think that's most, most of my maker stuff on the manager's side. Yeah. As I said, like I'm 
I'm uh, back into thinking mode. I've been, I had a good back and forth with you and Derek today as well in our Slack group. I'm basically trying to figure out like, well, reform is difficult right now because I don't have a lot of time. And we sort of have a direction we want to move in, which is sort of have a focus on sales and marketing use cases because that's where we see most potential right now. And um, and I've started mapping out this new website in whims- like in a mind map in Whimsical. And it's a really nice tool, by the way, if you haven't used it. I mean, you have, but because you, you talked about it a lot. But uh, yeah, so so I have that kind of like mapped out as a as as a mind map in there. The there's basically a f- there's a few things I'm struggling ri- with right now, and and one is just like just really like Bjorn and I talked about the other day. Like if we shut down reform now, and people asked us why'd you shut it down, like why didn't it work? We actually didn't have a good answer for it, mm. and. So like there's basically there's kind of two problems and I think they're the same problem. One problem is like I don't have like a really good way to describe reform right now like cuz I don't really I haven't really fully decided who it's for or why it's better than the other thing. So mm-hmm. I don't have a great answer for that. But I also don't have a and probably it's related, but I also don't have a good answer for why it's not working as well as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so that's like one thing that I think about a lot is like really trying to dive into the the numbers and not only the numbers, like also like the, the qualitative stuff, like just trying to understand like who it's working for, who it's not working for, what's kind of like the lay of the land right now. That's the one thing. The other thing is like like a repositioning exercise. And for some reason, it's also probably related to problem number one, but it's difficult for me to like, basically figure out where to start. Like it just feels like a big intimidating task. Like I have an idea for basically what the structure of the website is going to be. But I think like I'm almost like paralyzed <laughs> by like the, like sitting down and like writing down like the words to actually say what it is. And, and I yeah. think it might be because I just don't know. I mean, I've read obviously awesome. I just re-listened to it. It's just a big task, and mm-hmm. like when you repositioned Summit like a while back, you work with an agency, and you it, it felt like you enjoyed that process. Yeah, I enjoyed that process the way people enjoy training for like <laughs> a half marathon or something. You know, like I enjoyed it in a well. You felt excited about it. Yeah, I mean, because I because I, I like hard creative work. It was the hard part yeah. that wasn't fun, but it was super creative and it was draining. But it was creative, and I was going to say the the process they used was try to tell a story, you know, sort of a hero's journey of somebody before using your product and then after using your product, and forget positioning. In other words, for a while, don't try to think about positioning. Just and they had. Essentially, think of it like a just a big whiteboard, a virtual whiteboard full of questions and cards that you could fill out and answer. And it just really forces you to go scene by scene, you know, very cinematic here, scene by scene and think about the setting, what they're doing, what their challenge is, what's the thing that causes them to do this. And so you go through this whole 
exercise of really sort of screenwriting or writing the, the, the story out and then positioning kind of fell out of that. What's funny is the first time we went through that exercise, I think the positioning we ended up with was, was still wrong because it was like, this isn't really, like the need isn't clear. Like what's the need? And it, that drove me crazy because it was so hard to figure out what the need was that we were solving. And I just kept coming back to like, well, you know, it's just better. <laughs> it's like, uh, what I would say is you could almost think of that exercise as like defragging or virus scanning or whatever you want, auditing your thought process and forcing you to put it all out onto the table and find the flaws in it. It wasn't that it, you yeah. arrived at the right answer. You just sort of, it was actually more like, you now know how bad you are at answering this question. And now you, now you know what work you really need to do, which is figure out why yeah. you can't answer this question very well. Yeah, that's like the, there's a lot of like recursiveness in this, like trying to yes. like look into your customers and go back to the positioning and then, yes. yeah, so back and forth. Exactly. But that fits kind of what you were saying in, in, the, in the Slack channel earlier, if I may quote you, which was like, sort of debugging it literally fits the same it's the same metaphor i was just using of you're going through your current positioning and and storytelling and hooks and saying why how do we find out where the gaps are and that was their way was get out of the marketing mode and get into the customer story mode and when you can't explain why somebody's going to reach for reform you know, and maybe that's not it for you because that's that's a different you're a different kind of business and different kind of product. But for us, it was why is somebody going to reach for Summit? <laughs> like, yeah, the inability to answer that was sort of, yeah, forces down a road. But it took us two or three months, and hey, maybe somebody can do it in a, in a week. I don't know, but yeah, that was our experience. I actually I actually had a call earlier today with an associate for of like a really big VC firm, mm-hmm. and I sometimes take these calls. I, I, I take the calls if it's from like one of the big five or whatever, like some of the, or 10, like some of the really well-known uh, VC companies, mm-hmm. just because I'm like interested in seeing their process. Like, I, and I just want to like know, I just want to know how they do stuff, even if I know yeah. that it's probably not going to lead to anything. Right. So I'm talking to this young dude and and then he, at some point he asks like, what's going to prevent Typeform f- to, from just like, doing the same same thing you do or something like that like you know ask more questions on the same page or like have a more minimal design or whatever and it was so frustrating because at one on the one hand i just wanted to say like dude i'm like 10 years older than you and that's like a stupid question like because you know that like if you had more experience you know that a big team can't just like copy a small team because that's not how the world works and like <laughs> and even if like yeah. And it's not the point and they, there's like, you know, they don't care about that because they already have a lot of customers and they don't care about a little part of the market or whatever. Like I just, it was really frustrating. But the most frustrating oh, part was yeah. that I also didn't have like a really strong like argument ready for like why Reform is so much better than our competitors. So yeah. he asked like not a very good question, I think, but like I also didn't have a very good answer. So that was like frustrating. Yep. Those vexing questions, that might be a good title for this podcast, but like those vexing questions are the ones that I agree are amateurish, superficially, but can reveal 
deep things, you know, and because you sh- you really should have a quick and confident answer to that. And the fact that, let me put it this way, it doesn't mean you don't have an answer, but the fact that you're not able to quickly say the answer reveals the fact that you really haven't wrestled with it enough to put it on a landing page, right? <laughs> so like, that's, and that's marketing. So it's sort of like, well, if you can't market it to this person right now, how is your landing page going to market it to, you know, some random prospect? Why can't I just use Google Sheets to do this? <laughs> exactly. You know how long it took to figure out why you can't just use Google Sheets to do what Summit does? I mean, it takes a very long time. And now when people throw that out there, it doesn't even bother me because I'm like, I know the answer. The answer is, if you don't need it to be a web app, sure, Google Sheets. But Google Sheets is a terrible web app. It's a terrible web UI for your end. Like, nobody wants to publish a Google Sheet instead of a web app. Oh, okay. But like, that took forever to figure out that that was the answer. Right? <laughs> yeah. And the th- interesting thing is like, which I just realized is like, I like, I can come up with 10 different ways that I think reform is better than type form, where it's yeah. hard for me to pick one. And I think yeah. if I know what you're using type form for, then it's easy yep. for me to explain why reform would be potentially better. So the, I think a lot of the, a, a big part of the problem is that I just haven't decided who, who I'm trying to convince, basically. Yes, and yeah, the startup stuff is hard. I, you haven't figured out who because, in some sense, you're like, well, isn't it everyone? Like, who wouldn't it be? Yeah. And so you can yeah. flip that around too and say, who, who should not use this? Who's this not good for? And you could always see if that's easier. You know, well, if you're, if you really need this, then you should use something else. You know, that's good, that's man. The, I mean, that's a Charlie Munger mental model. Yes, it's the inversion, right? <laughs> yeah, always invert. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. So, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, are you? Uh, I wanted to finish this with sort of action. Are you going? Are you working on this now? Are you rethinking? Yeah, you are. You're so, in whimsical. Yeah, I'm in whimsical, and then on the like the number crunching side, I kind of I'm doing three things. I have a sheet with like our funnel, basically funnel metrics that I update mm-hmm. normally every month, sort of, which has like, f- first it has like our website visitors. So I just grab that number from Fathom and then it has mm-hmm. how many signups we got, which is like I get from the database. And then it's how many new customers started a subscription this month. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the people that start a subscription might come from another month you know, like they signed up another month, but it's still like, it still gives me like an indication of just like, kind of like, okay, so-and-so signups. And then I have the, the, the ratios like, okay. So I, I and I, there's like a one-to-one correlation almost in terms of like visitors to signups. Mm. It's when we have twice the traffic, like we get twice the, the signup. So like, that's like the one thing I'm doing. The mm. other thing I did is like, I have a sheet with the last hundred signups we got and i went through Mm. those to see how active they were um Mm. and got depressed (laughs) when i did that and then (laughs) what i'm doing today is i have a sheet with all the customers that are currently on a paid plan Mm -hmm. and then i'm basically adding information like what did i put in here like if they're active (laughs) and what their use cases are have some sort of like tax and what type of company they are and how we acquired them basically. Mm. So my goal for the customer 
one that I just mentioned is basically try to see if there are some, and I have ideas, of course, but try to see what the patterns are in terms of like who's using it a lot, who's not using it very much, who's like, so just to get an idea of like who really likes it right now. And it is related to like inverting. So the other way to go about it is like looking at the people that are not converting and Mm -hmm. But also like look at the people that have converted and are happy. So going back and forth there a little bit. And then hopefully soon, like I feel confident to like start writing a bit more. I think I just need to write a lot actually and see if something like pops out. Yeah, we just ended up writing pages and pages of stuff just to get it out of our heads to start that whole exercise, which was yeah the most exhausting part. <laughs> yeah, you just that reminded me of something that maybe we can end on which is yeah. also in the Bob Mesta podcast. I forgot mm. what it's called. Circuit Breaker. Circuit Breaker, yeah. But but in the they ha- they have like an intro episode and these are like two like you know jobs to be done experts like the the creme de la creme of like jobs mm-hmm. to be done researchers. And so that's how the whole podcast is, you know, live when they talk even how they talk to each other. Yeah. So he says, like, this This is a way for me to get this stuff out of my head. And then the other guy, Greg, I think, Engel, is like, but what What does that mean, to get it out of your head? <laughs> I, I love that. And they start, like, talking about what it actually, like, what's the job to be done for this podcast? And, like, what's the, like, what are you actually trying to do when you're saying that you want to get stuff out of your head? And the, that's what the podcast is going to help you do. And then he, Bob Moesta starts talking about like how he has dyslexia and and he has like, you know, he's obviously like a great thinker, but also like a re- extremely great practitioner. And he has a lot of like, he, he talks about like how he has all these ongoing threats in his head that are not like, he's not done thinking about them. So they're not ready to be put in a book, but also like, it's really hard for him to write books, even though he's written a few, like many books, but but he has dyslexia. So like the podcast would be a good way to like, kind of like workshop almost like comedians when they do like little test shows and stuff like that. Yeah. I just thought it was fascinating. And he was like, I just want to get this stuff out of my head. And the other guy's like, what does that actually mean? I mean, <laughs> always ask that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Cool, man. Yeah. Awesome stuff. See you next week, hopefully. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.